Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, today we're going to get right back into Christmas at Covenant. Uh, this week is sorrow versus joy. As we're going kind of a versus theme, anticipation and disappointment, sorrow and joy. Next week is wonder and cynicism. And we're kind of working through what, is, what are these warring things that are happening in Christmas. And today, um, no better way to start than talking about childbirth. Um, t- labor pangs. You've heard this term, labor pangs, P-A-N-G. Some people say pains. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But it's that pang is that actual word I want to just, I want to learn together if we don't use this word enough, because pangs are great. It's the root word of a penguin, if you didn't know that. <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, a brief piercing spasm of pain, a sudden sharp feeling, especially of painful emotion, labor pangs. You've heard this when, when we ask uh, people, what is it like to go through labor and delivery? There's, there's pains, but I think there's also pangs in between. There are those, those uh, minutes between contractions, and then the contraction is the pang, and then it only gets worse from there, doesn't it? So I asked the women of, of the metaverse on the social media, I asked the women of the world to maybe give me an idea. I said one sentence or less. I asked, can you please tell me about labor and delivery? And this is just a sampling of what I got. <laughs> Waves of death was pretty good. You came to church hoping to read Waves of Death on a screen and make that make sense. I like someone pulling my legs off at the hip joint. That was uh, descriptive. Thank you. Um, and the one I kind of I sat with the longest was like I might be torn in two. So that was, that was a thing. So now we're talking about childbirth. Um, curiously, many women felt compelled to add that it was wonderful and beautiful and joyful. Some said forgettable. The idea that the... Uh, the pain of childbirth was somehow not comparable to the reward of childbirth. And that's what we're going to stick with today. So that, that's Christmas. That the being torn in two and receiving the ultimate gift, that these things might be meant for each other. Humanity needs a rescue and a rebirth. We need uh, to recognize where beauty meets brokenness and how brokenness leads to beauty. Humanity is lost and alone. We are mired in sin and pain and shame. From a historical perspective, God's people were long awaiting a Savior. There is that quiet season between the the kind of the writing of your Old Testament and then hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, where people were anticipating in great sorrow, they were anticipating in exile, they were anticipating in all of these various seasons of sadness that there would be a Messiah. They needed ransom from their captors. And I kind of think that sounds like us as well. As, as, as God's people awaited Jesus, where we pick up in the New Testament, we sort of await that. And Christmas is our every year reminder that Jesus is faithful to show up. That while we are stubborn people who need a rescue, that while we are exiled, exiled people, exiled by our own sin, that while we live in a place that does not feel like home to us, that there is a Messiah coming to redeem it, to ransom us. 
as a necessary pain that comes from creation onward. So if we talk about childbirth, what does that have to do with anything? I think there's a thread running through all of humanity that starts in the garden. So it starts in the garden rooted in that same self-exile of sin. Adam and Eve try to be like God. You know the story. They go and they take the, the fruit from the forbidden tree because the serpent has convinced them they can try to be like God. And the result is a reminder of our frailty. In Genesis 3.16, God says this to the woman. He said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. That, that life, after the death of sin entered into the world, life was therefore required to come with pain. That there would be no more painless life. That there, there was a break that had happened. And so in Genesis, what we see is that life now comes through pain. Like I might be torn in two kind of pain. So from that point on, what we see is that there is a tearing, a rending, a, a, a cost for new life. Prophet Isaiah calls for it in Isaiah 64. He says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down, make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. As God's people are exiled, feeling abandoned, they're entreating God, come down, tear the heavens, rend the heavens, and come join us here. So heaven could come down only if the sky was ripped open. This idea that life could happen only if there was a tearing, only if there was a rending, only if there was a pain, could, could God deliver Israel? And this plea is even echoed in a, a Christmas songs that we sing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. You, you hear it and you go, that sounds kind of like a somber song. Look at the words. Ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile until the Son of God appear. And the rejoice only comes with Emmanuel, which is still, it's a shall come to. It's, it's a future tense. Rejoice when God is with us. Rejoice, Emmanuel, when God is with us. Then God will come to us and rescue us. But it's a rescue plea. The song is, a, is an entreatment of God to come back, rescue us from our own exile. I like that it's a minor key song. I'm no music expert, but I'm, this is going to shock you. I have a problem with um, going down rabbit trails when I'm doing research for anything. And so I, I read way too many words on why minor key and minor chord type music things are sad. So like happy clappy songs are in certain keys and sad songs are in minor keys. And there's a whole thing like why does a, a, a C chord, why is that so positive and make me feel good? And why does an E minor kind of make me feel a little bit gloomy? And so there's a whole debate online. You need to know this. It's, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel is, is definitely a minor song. We're going to sing it this morning. So you'll get to hear it and go, ooh, this sounds gloomy. And it's different than the song you just sang, which kind of felt ebullient. You felt like, hey, this is going to go somewhere. I like this. And people will say that it's because we're Westerners and we've been conditioned that happy is this and sad is that. And some of you are like music majors or something, and you're going to call me on this later. Um, you want to send me an email at don'tcare at bgcovenant.org. Okay. <laughs> so I read this, this whole long thing about psychoacoustics. I didn't even know there was such a word called psychoacoustics, but it's a real thing. And here's what the quote I pulled. It says, minor chords trigger sensory dissonance, which is a kind of tension that stems from the clashing of closely separated frequencies. That sounds like math and science combined. I was bad at both, so we keep going. What it's trying to say is the very tones arrive in our souls, and they lead us on some subatomic level to know that this is not happy. To 
prove the point, there was then a study done with a Cameroonian tribe that had never had Western influence. And they identified major keys as happy and minor keys as sad, with no other influence. The reason I go down that rabbit hole is it feels like the anticipation of Christmas is sort of a minor key season. The exile is a minor key season. It's life without God's intervention. And life without God's intervention, both in anticipation and in our own reaction and interaction in life, life without God's presence, life without God's intervention is sensory dissonance for us. When we are absent from God, there is dissonance there. There's something that doesn't quite feel right, and we don't even know why it doesn't feel right, but when God is not in the picture, something doesn't feel right. And what happens is the space before life tears into the world is one of those of sorrow and pain and groaning. The anticipation of a Messiah is one of sorrow and groaning. It's labor. Christmas is a season of labor. It's the pulling apart in the sense of of disintegration. This feels like something is falling apart, not being built. Some of you experience life like this in general. For some of you, the Christmas season is one of sorrow in general because you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost someone recently and you go, you know what, everything about the season I now connect to the person I no longer have. And it just feels like everything is dissonance now. I don't look forward to it. I don't want to do it. That tradition is tied to this person. That tradition is tied to this person. This memory is tied to that person, and they're not here, and I cannot enjoy it. It brings me sorrow. And so what we do is we try to hold on long enough to get through. We try to hold off long enough, just get through the season. Just get me to January. Just get me past this stuff. Some of us live life like that in general, not just a season, but we live life like that, where we go, just get me to heaven. I'm sick of this. It's too much. Get me to heaven. Help me escape the pain. And that's actually a half-right desire. It's not totally right. It's not totally wrong. It's half-right. Just get me to heaven so I can escape the pain is half-right because life is hard for everyone eventually. Everyone has their season. Everyone will have their trial. Everyone has their, their time. Some of us feel like they're longer than others. And there is a promise beyond your pain. So if you're in here and you go, look, sorrow, identified, done, there's hope beyond that. That's why humanity calls out for God to come be with us. That's why humanity has always called for God to come be with us. In our trials and our sorrow, God is always the one we're calling out to because there, there is a sense that there's some way that this gets healed. That's why Isaiah calls for a rending of heaven because there is this sense that there is a way out. But we have to notice that it isn't to pluck us out of the muck and the mire. That's not the whole answer. That's half the answer. But before we have to get to that point, we get to a place where we are going to be joined in it by God. God joins us. The, the message of Christmas is not that we are removed from the sadness and sorrow of the world. It's that Jesus saw fit to join us in it. The promise of the Messiah is he would join us in it and give us victory in it here and now He would tear the heavens and drop into our pain, and then and only then does he begin to lift us out. God's presence is always first, and then the removal of the pain comes next. Listen to David in Psalm 30. David's been through a lot. I exalt you, Lord. You lifted me out of the depths. He's been lifted out. And you did not let my enemies gloat over me. I called to you for help, and you healed me. Yes, Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name for his anger. 
lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What a comforting passage. That your sorrow, your weeping may last through the night, but joy is always around the corner. Joy comes in the morning. That God met David in his sorrow and rescued him. God met him in his disaster and lifted him up from the ashes of his own sin, his own shame. And that's the message of Christmas. That a world broken and confused, a world that seems to be teetering on the edge, that there is an answer. Christmas is not Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. That's not the path out. Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. God come down. So the season we're in now is a season of anticipation and expectation. It's of waiting and hoping. It's a season that believes in the power of sacrifice. Because Jesus' arrival is part one of the narrative, isn't it? Christmas is a season where we believe that our sorrow won't go unanswered. So if you find yourself in that season now and you go, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. And it's seasonal depression or it's loss and grief or whatever it is. Your sorrow won't go unanswered. That's the promise of Christmas. One of the lowest moments of my life was also one of the most physically painful as I was reflecting on uh, labor pains and the things that women go through. And as men of earth would like to thank you just formally, thank you for what you do for us. We have no idea. Can I just say that right now? We have no idea. And this will not compare to your pain. But my worst pain, my worst pain I've ever uh, experienced, I was 19 years old. I was in the hospital for 14 days following lung surgery. I donated part of my lung to my sister in a lung transplant. And so at 19 years old, I'm in a city I'd never been. I was living in, Saint, I was living in Austin, Texas, and I had to move to St. Louis to have the surgery because that's where they did the surgery. And I'm in a, a hospital bed for 14 days, and the worst pain I ever personally felt actually came after the surgery. The surgery was interesting in that you have um, these pesky things called ribs, and they put this clamp in from like the 1400s, I think, and, and then they start churning on this, you know, it's like making butter, and then it rips your ribs apart like this, so, so sometimes they just crack them, and for me, they just pull them so they could get a nice window, and then they took what they wanted, and they were like, ah, I'd be fine. So I woke up from that feeling a little bit sore, just a little bit, but it's a little tender even today. That wasn't the worst pain. The worst pain was that they, they have these tubes. So I have this scar right here, and then I have these two, these two little holes in um, the side of my rib cage. And there were tubes, and they were both going into these weird moonshine jugs. This is like the 1800s when I got this surgery done. <laughs> Things have come a long way. And, and one of them is supposed to be keeping pressure because you don't want your uh, lung to collapse and your whole chest cavity to do bad things. The other one is a drain. It's like draining fluid. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know what it was. It was gross. A lot of fluid, and the moonshine jugs would fill up, and one uh, is weird. So what would happen, though, is I wasn't healing fast enough. So I set the record, all right, gold medal. I set the record for longest post-operative stay in the hospital for this surgery, and I was the young, healthy one. My dad was out in three days. He gave his right lung to my sister. And so he's out in three days, and I'm just sitting there wallowing. And they said, you know what we need to do is maybe we need to reset the, the tubes, and I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, well, you'll see. So they came in, and, and one lady like, got this arm and held it down a little bit. And I was like, this seems like it's not going to go well. And, and what they started doing was moving tubes around in me just while I was awake. And that wasn't very nice because it was scraping my insides. And I didn't know that they felt that kind of pain. But it was a lot of pain. And I said, maybe don't do that again. And they're like, maybe heal. And so we, we you know. 
we were at an impasse and we left from there. And I thought that was something. I was like, that is a lot. Um, I don't ever want to feel that again. I'd never felt pain like that before. I'd never felt something inside of my body just scraping around. I thought that was bad. Uh, I had a roommate because again, it's 1643 in the hospital. And my roommate was uh, this old codger that had emphysema. And so emphysema, if your lungs are balloons that need to inflate and, and deflate, uh, emphysema is kind of like the, the stiffening of them and they, they stop doing what they're supposed to do. And so the surgery for him was actually the same as mine. He had a lung reduction. And the idea is you take out the disease portion and then you kind of pull it taut again in the balloon while smaller might work better. So he's having um, that same surgery. He's also not healing. So we're, you know, fist bump through that old curtain system. But he's like 107 years old and it's not going well for him. And I actually had never, I've never seen him because the curtain was always pulled, but I'd heard him. And being, you know, in pain and in the hospital and 19 and self-absorbed, I just kind of didn't like him because why do we got to share a room with you? So he's not healing. The doctors come in and they say, listen, they're talking to his wife and they said, listen, we're going to have to do this treatment that's going to heal him up. It's not going to be fun, but it'll work. But it's called the powder treatment. And she was like, the powder treatment? And so, you know, I'm just kind of half paying attention. I was like, oh, it's going to be fun. And, and then they come back in to do the powder treatment across the curtain. And, you know, again, he is, he is here to the moose mug. That's how far away he is. And then they explain what they're about to do. And they're going to take his tubes, which, you know, these things are so much fun. Everybody should get tubes at some point. In their life. So they're going to get his tubes, and they say, essentially what we're doing is we're going to blow an irritant powder into his lung cavity. And then the irritation should tricked the body into fighting back and healing up because he wasn't healing properly. And I said, that doesn't sound like fun. So then like, you know, an army of people come in and I'm like, oh, they're holding him down now. How do you like me now? And, and then they start the treatment. And this, you know, this is just a dude. And the pain I heard, I'd never heard before. And he passed out screaming and didn't wake up for like 12 hours but whimpered in his sleep from the pain. I didn't sleep at all that night (laughs) because there's like torture happening four feet from me. And the doctor came in and I said, what in the world is the powder treatment? And the doctor said, I don't know how to describe it other than to say we set his lungs on fire and then stomped out the fire with track cleats. And I went, can I not have that, you know? <laughs> Maybe, heal up. What's the point of this strange lung story? He needed revolution in his body. His body was going the wrong direction. He needed a full radical shift in the way his body was going. Medical intervention is often kind of the most revolutionary thing we have in our lives in that we need a full-scale 180-degree change from where we're going to where we're headed. And it required intense pain. It required a painful process to get him back to a place of healing. We don't like pain. We don't like sorrow. We don't like sadness. We don't like pain. But pain is the path to healing all the time. Pain is the path to life since Genesis 3.16. He needed an answer to his sorrow. And it took a medical revolution of sorts. It took a deep pain to bring him back to healing. I got moved out of that room before I figured out what happened to him. So I don't know. But I'd like to think it worked, and I'd like to think he's hanging out with his grandkids, getting ready for his 2021 Christmas because he had to endure the powder treatment. 
because my instinct is, as we walk through life together, as we do this thing together, as we look at the scripture together, what we see is that God never leaves our pain unanswered, and he always uses our pain to bring forth more life. History is full of revolutions that require great sorrow and sacrifice. Every revolution carries a high price. World War II, 70 million people died in World War II, 50 in fighting and 20 in famine. 70 million people was the cost that humanity paid to stop Nazism and fascism. A revolution costs something. Jesus came to bring a revolution like no other. He came to establish a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to topple every worldly power structure and replace it with his way. In doing so, Jesus came to invite you and I to live in that kingdom, one that is free of guilt and pain and sorrow and shame. This is the revolution Jesus came to bring. He promised no more tears and no more pain and no more brokenness. But it came with a price, didn't it? Jesus willingly took on our suffering and made it his own. He took on our death in order to give us life. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, said the people of Israel. Oh, that you would tear the heavens. And heaven was torn so Jesus could come down and join us in our sorrow. There's no greater gift. This is why, I don't know if you know this, this is why there's gifts around on Christmas because Jesus is the ultimate gift, you know, so we're tying, okay, gifts, interesting. This is why we do it. Because there's a certain need that's fulfilled with a gift. And and these days it's gotten a little bit, you know, we're a little sideways on that and we just kind of give things to spoil people and that's okay. Gifts are okay. But gifts usually represent a sacrifice to bring life to someone else. I went without so that I could give to you. I love that my wife wraps gifts as she gets them. And the gifts sort of pile up under the tree. So by the time Christmas happens, it isn't a voila moment. It's just like those have been there and we've been anticipating them. It's anticipation building, and I love that. That's what's in our hearts these days. Yes, there is sorrow. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is grief. Yes, people are mourning and carrying shame and exhausted and broken down. Yes. There's anticipation, though. There's a gift. Christmas says God's promised rescue is coming. In your season and eternally, universally for humanity, that God's promised rescue is coming. Scripture doesn't skip over the drama of Mary's pregnancy as an unwed woman. Doesn't skip it. Takes us right into it. Doesn't gloss over a long journey as a nine-month pregnant woman is sitting on the back of a donkey. Doesn't skip over the fact that she's sleeping in a stable. It goes through, if we start to unpack that and go, what must that have been like? It goes through the depth of difficulty and even for her. I mean, unwed teenage mother living in a shame culture with no place to be, that sounds like sorrow to me. It sounds like a season where we would say, God, where are you? Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure the angel said, but are you sure? Because this doesn't feel like sort of a God movement in my life. We've had those seasons where you go, God, are you there even? Are you sure this is what I'm supposed to go to? This is what I need? Sorrow? I love it because it reminds us we don't start Christmas story with Jesus snuggled in his mother's arms, but with the birth pangs of anticipation and the desperate waiting for Emmanuel, for God with us. This is the season we're in right now. This is the season we're in as people where we don't start the Christmas season. Scripture doesn't open up and you go, and then there was this perfect porcelain baby in the arms of his loving mother. 
It starts with confusion. It starts with sorrow. It starts with struggle. It starts with hardship. It starts with temporary homelessness. And from that comes hope. Christmas says God is going to rescue, and we have to believe it. That God has a plan, and we have to believe it. So every year we mark the moment that he actually did it. Christmas is us marking the moment where God actually did what he promised he would do, where he showed up in rescue. So we remember that he tore through the heavens and landed in a manger, and hope arrives with his life. We remember that the curtain was then torn in two as he lived his life and breathed his last. Like the rending of heaven was a twofold process, that first heaven had to open up so Jesus could come down, and then Jesus, in giving up his, his life, tore heaven open again, but allowed us in. The tearing sound that happens if you were in Israel and you heard of your your family member's death, a good Hebrew person will tear their shirt from top to bottom. You'll hear it in the Bible. You'll look and you'll see moments where someone tore their shirt from top to bottom. The rending of the fabric creates a ripping sound that is guttural and visceral and impossible to ignore. It's the sound of Jesus ripping through heaven to come and be with us and then the curtain in the temple ripping apart so that we can be with him. It's the tearing and the rending that brings us hope. All of heaven heaved in sorrow at his moment of death, and yet we remember that though sorrow may last through the night, the joy comes in the morning. That those days after the crucifixion, there must have been some darkness, there must have been some sorrow, there must have been anticipation that was waning as the day went. But like every precious child got here through labor and pain, like every sunrise that outlasts the dark of night, Christmas, Christmas is Jesus' dawn upon the dark night of humanity. The season that we are in, Christmas, is the dawn rising on the darkness. Christmas is the opening of heaven and the invasion of earth with hope. It's the arrival of grace in a land of sorrow. It is the end of death and the birth of true life. God so loved the world that he chose to rend the heavens to be born on earth. God so loved the world that he himself was rent was torn to make us whole again. And if you want to see some beauty, Genesis 3.16 says, from from pain will come life. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And you tie those two together and you start to see a picture that every life requires its pain, that every birth has its blood, and yet the beauty of of a God like ours is the story is written and the narrative is perfect and it's art beyond what we can imagine. And it's true. That Jesus went from heaven to manger, then manger to cross, cross to grave, and grave back to heaven, and we get to trace the journey. Christmas reminds us that the groaning birth pangs of sin and sorrow will soon give way to hope and joy in a newborn Savior. And maybe that's you need to hear that from a seasonal standpoint and love Christmas in a new way because it points to your faith. And maybe you're in a season right now where you have sin and sorrow. And what you need to see in the Christmas season is that God is making a path through it that he will tear whatever he must to get you back to life and back to hope and back to grace. Because the kingdom has been established, because sorrow has had its night, because Jesus is the hope and the joy that rises with the dawn. That's the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for crafting life in the way you do for giving us illustration after story, after moment, after picture of what it looks like to come to life. God, we create paths of pain for ourselves, and yet you solve them. 
You become the solution. You become the ransom. You become the redeemer. So, Father, as we consider the mystery of the Christmas season, as we consider the beauty of your arrival, as we celebrate and look back and mark the time when you saw fit to tear heaven open to come and join us, God, we pray that we would not let it slip by. That in this season, we would long for you, we would mourn in our sorrow, knowing that our hope is on the horizon. God, thank you for your presence in this place. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.